0: Growing a business is hard, but it does not have to be. Once a week, we take a break from the hustle and bustle in business to talk about innovations and what's new in the C suite. This is the Fractional C Suite Retreat, and I'm Joseph Frost. Pull up a seat at the fire, grab a drink, smoke a cigar, and just join me as we relax, learn, and get inspired. This retreat is sponsored by Your CMO, helping organizations grow with better marketing strategy. Welcome. I'm really excited about today's guest. Um, He is one of our first guests that is an actual client of your CMO and a client of mine. Uh, He is a wizard when it comes to international matters of tax and accounting. He's the founder and president uh, and CEO of Beacon CPA, which is a boutique international tax and accounting firm. Welcome, Mark Ratafia. Mark, how are you? Hey, Joe, I'm great, and I'm really excited to be here on the show. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. And I, I did want to lead with uh, full disclosure that you're a client. You're first of our um, series of client interviews that uh, we're doing on the podcast. And the reason I wanted and I'm so excited with starting with you is because not only you're a, a client of ours, but you also have other fractional members of your leadership team. So you have experience with just not only CMOs, but a CFO. And you're also um, employing a outsourced workforce from uh, Philippines, and I think also Mexico. So you've got a true experience of what it's like working with fractional leaders and uh, outsourced leaders and uh, uh, and team members. So it's a terrific it's terrific to have you in your perspective. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. So we'll start with uh, the number one question I like open with and. Uh, what's an opportunity, or what's something that you think uh, C-suite leaders and business owners need to be thinking about today? That's really important. Uh,
1: that's a great that's a great question, great uh, introductory question. I think that uh, one of the issues that is is probably at the forefront of what I'm thinking about. A lot of my clients are thinking about these days is how can we create organizations that attract and retain talent um, that is really going to be invested for the long term in the growth uh, and the health of our organizations, in an environment which seems to be shifting so quickly from the old traditional models of of working uh, to something that really nobody knows where it's going to land. I think that that's, uh, you know, it's a fascinating uh, time to be living in. Because you're being confronted with uh, with issues that you never saw before, uh, and
0: yet uh, the challenge is huge. Yeah, I like how you phrased that question too, because it's the way I heard you say it was: "How do we create organizations that attract and retain talent?" And so many times we think about how do we attract and retain talent. So that little shift into creating the organization that, in and of itself, would attract and retain the talent, I think is the is the opportunity. And so. Um, what are some of the things that you're thinking about or that you're seeing other clients perhaps do that, uh, are specifically designed at changing that organizational structure to attract and retain, or maybe it's a culture change too. It doesn't necessarily have to be a structural change.
1: Right. Um, I don't think I really have a, a great, uh, you know, clear answer to, to the question about how you do it, but I can certainly share with you some, some thoughts. About what the elements are uh, and what the challenges are um, I think that um, today you you've got the the shift away from the fully in office work environment to either a hybrid or a totally remote uh, workplace and um, you know that just presents the the challenge of well if we're not all in the office and we're not seeing each other and interacting personally and sort of, you know, coffee, uh, coffee discussion, uh, water cooler discussions. So how do we actually create human relationships that are, that are meaningful? Because I think that that's the real glue that can bind organizations together is where people are, are working with other people. Who they they relate to, they understand, they like being with, um, and there's a common goal to be achieved, uh, and everybody's pretty much on the bus and comfortable with that. Uh, I think it's a lot easier if you're doing that in the in office environment. Uh, it seems that for for most firms, even attempting to to do that by compelling people to come back is not going to happen. Um, so. What does one do when you've got a distributed team and some of the people may not really ever, or with any amount of frequency, uh, come together. Um, and that's, that's one of the great challenges. Um, so, you know, what are possible solutions? Certainly, um, if, if the in-person interaction is going to be more sustaining uh, for, for people's energy and their involvement and their engagement with the organization, then getting people together at least periodically in a location is really important. Uh, so, you know, I've seen that even if you're running a completely remote, uh, virtual organization, which many of our, our clients and associates do, that, uh, bringing everybody together in a nice location once a year, uh, or specific teams where you, know, you get a chance to, to socialize and relax and have some fun and also plan and, and strategize what you're going to do for the next quarter of the next year, getting some kind of a, a commonality of goals and thinking together. I think that could really be very important. And when everybody goes home, so at least they have that afterglow of the, the meetings, the lunches, the, the, the walks on the, on the board, whatever it is, you know, the volleyball. Um, and that will sort of, I think, sustain people for a while, it's going to fade. And so you're going to have to re-up it. And so that's where you have to find, I think, at least cadence that works for you. And, you know, there are economic constraints. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can't fly everybody to, you know, a nice, a nice location uh, on a monthly basis. So every organization, I think, has to figure out for themselves what works for us if you're
0: going to have a distributed team. Yeah, I think that's, that's becoming a a real, uh, I think it's become a reality for, for some people that didn't think we'd have to have to ever have to go back to in person. Like I think that the pandemic suggested that we can be completely remote, completely distributed, and productive, and efficient, and effective, and make get culture strong. But then that fills it out because it's no longer you know necessary to be remote, and so now I think people. St- from a cost standpoint, it still sounds great. Let's keep everybody remote, distributing the costs down. And that's like maybe, uh, for me at least, I see that as a new like bar. Like, oh, we want to keep our costs down. We don't need this big overhead. We don't need the big office. But it may be we need to raise the bar enough to cover those in-person visits that you're talking about. So the bar isn't nothing. The bar is nothing. Plus, how are, what's our cadence that is necessary for our team to feel Um yeah. I think that's got to be part of the conversation, right? I, I, I think you're completely correct
1: that if, if a person is running a business and they think that they can save costs, uh, by, by not having office space, uh, and it's all going to run to the bottom line and everything's going to be fine and dandy, I think that they're dream, I, yep. I have to budget in that, uh, we're going to replace some of the costs of rent or facilities with uh, costs of travel and, uh, and hotels and entertainment and, you know, et cetera. I don't know if it's gonna actually uh, be a, a net zero savings to lose the, the facilities costs, uh, but I think that, you know, certainly uh, a realistic clear-eyed plan includes a line on the, on the P&L for offsite
0: get-togethers, meetings, things like that. And I think if we get creative, those, those deadline item and those off sites could be a a recruitment tool. Like every quarter we do this or every year we have a big trip or like if if it's not an, it can change from a necessity. Like we got to do this to keep our team healthy and together to wow. You know, we go to Portugal um, every year and we surf the waves and we, you know, enjoy the sun. and That's our team meeting. Uh, and it's budgeted and, it, and it's something you look forward to as well as you get the glow from afterwards. Yeah. I think that's a great point you're making. Um, you know, it's,
1: it's a boost for the people that are, are currently on the team and it's, it's great publicity for the organization. Um, and it's gonna attract people. Yeah.
0: And, you know, it's becoming more and more competitive to find good people. You, you, you know, that from your experience and I know that, um, and I think the competition is gonna drive companies having to do that in some sense just to to compete with the other options'll have um, but the other competition or you know the other thing that's emerging that you've tapped into because of the competition to find good people is this idea of you know even mm-hmm. going further distributed to. Uh, in your case, the Philippines or Mexico to find good talent uh, outside the normal radius of search, and um, you know the complexities of making a trip over to see your team in the Philippines or getting them even included in these annual trips uh, can be you know can 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 be very expensive and and, um, and I know like with work visas like it's just it's just really hard to think through all of that. Um, have you had thoughts around visiting your team as, as your, your distributed team in the different parts of the world? Sure. Of of course. Um, so, you know,
1: there's a couple of thoughts on, on that. Um, we have thought of bringing people here to the States and that's, that's got some, some legal, uh, you know, hurdles, uh, it's also. Uh, got the, the positive, right. That, uh, you know, that, that we have a majority of our team located in the New York, New Jersey area. So we're, you know, flying in a, a smaller number of, of, of people to have everybody, uh, together, would be really impractical for all of us to fly out to the Philippines or Mexico or something like that. Um, but, uh, I think that for us, um, uh, we have, you know, a couple of people here and a couple of people there. We don't have a, a large enough concentration. We don't have a, a, team of let's say 10 or 15 people in any one location, uh, at this point in our organization. So I can see though, that as we get up there to, to those numbers, um, a couple of people flying out from New York, uh, if it's on an annual basis or something like that, and just be present with those people, take them out, have show them a good time, and then do some strategizing, we'll do the same, uh, thing that, that we, that I mentioned before in that you want to have a tighter integration than you can achieve solely over the internet. And, you know, look, Zoom and Teams and all the electronic share, uh, sharing of information that we, that we do on a regular basis is wonderful, but I feel personally that at the end of the day, the communication is always missing a a certain intangible dimension that can only be accomplished when you're in, in person and so, you know, it's a great point. Um, you know, do you fly, uh, to your various locations to see your people? Do you bring them in? Um, I think every organization has to sort of find their, their sealings on that one.
0: Yeah. I think that's what we're working through is trying to figure out what that right cadence that you said is or each com- company may need its own. Um, I was also thinking, I'll throw this out to you, just curious what your thoughts are that, sure. you know, almost, uh, it was, it's it, part of it's the human-to-human interaction and generally being in your house all day long remotely on Zoom is, you know, is, is a lot <laughs> to, for any one person to do. So in some regards, just giving opportunities for your remote teams to go interact with other people intentionally. Hey, why don't you just take the next Tuesday, every Tuesday of the week, go to a coffee shop and work from there. Like forcing people out of their homes to get, you know, some sort of interaction might be an interesting way. And forcing is probably too strong a word. right? But yeah. um, it doesn't have to be with our team. It just has to be with other humans, perhaps. And maybe it's a collaborative session. Like, hey, why don't you go find two of your buddies and go brainstorm this for me? you know, right. as an example. So right. they're working on your stuff, but with other people in a real human-to-human interaction. hmm hmm Sure. Uh, so I think that, you
1: know, we were, uh, experimenting with, uh, a distributed workforce before COVID hit. And, uh, at that time, people were actually, uh, in offices with other, with other people. Now, right, you, you, as, as, you know, a particular organization may have only had, let's say two or three of those, those workers, but they were surrounded by maybe a hundred, two hundred, 200, even a thousand other people. So they had that social web that, you know, I think is, is just so important. Um, since COVID, it hasn't, it hasn't really come back. A lot of the people out there, uh, well, certainly during COVID with the lockdowns and everything, uh, the employees, the people, workers needed to go into their, their home offices, their kitchen tables, et cetera. You would have thought that they would have come back by now, but it's not the case, at least from what we're seeing. A lot of the uh, remote workers are still working from home and gosh, you know, I, I was at home, uh, a couple of days ago and I had back to back meetings on zoom all day long, uh, after seven hours of it. I mean, I couldn't see straight.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, I hear you. You know. And, and, and I had to just like go walk around the block because it's just, it's so much. Um, so the, you know, the sense of isolation that you can have is not healthy. I think as human beings, we're social people. That's kind of the theme of, of, of our discussion, at least up until now. And, uh, I think it's a great idea. Like if you have, uh, some remote workers and they're, they're sitting isolated in their homes, okay. Uh, we'd like you to be working, uh, for us. But please get yourself into an environment where there are other people. There's some, there's some life going on because, you know, ultimately, you, you know, you get, you get worn down, uh, the, the sort of the alacrity, the, the, the sharpness gets dulled. Yeah. And, um, and having a break, you know, from a, a different, different place to, to work out of might be a, a great way to, to breathe a little bit of life into what could otherwise become a, a pretty. You know, a pretty boring, monotonous uh, uh, job in front of a computer screen.
0: Yeah, I think uh, if you ever had a chance to read Gerber and the E-Myth and some of his writing, I think it was him that, uh, he that, it's a 1960s book, so if you haven't read it, don't worry about it. And uh, I think it it was Uh, he who said, you need to plan like blocks of time out of the office. and, And other people have picked up on. Right, So people that have an office, you, suggest you go get an office, you rent a physical space somewhere else, and you go there once a week for a specific amount of time. Right. And I think maybe we're now at this point where people that are working from home is like, no, you need to go to an office for a specific time and work from there because you need the, the counterbalance, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. We also,
1: just by the way, on, on the subject of uh, remote uh, workers, we have some domestic uh, workers as well, who are, are remote because they're moms, they have young children. They want to be able to, to get those, you know, kids breakfast in the morning, get them off to school, uh, put in their, their five hours, their six hours mm-hmm. and be there for the kids when they, when they come home. Um, I think that we're not seeing, uh, such a, a difficulty or a challenge in that class of worker. And it could be because. It's a shorter period of time, but they're working typically, and they're really involved in a fulsome way with their, their families. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not speaking from experience and I, I try to be in the office as much as possible, but I do, I do notice that there
0: is a difference there. Do you see work evolving from our traditional hours of work being the value of the worker from, to more of a measurable outcome? productive units of work being the value of that person?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think that there's an inherent appeal to moving to a, a measure of, uh, you know, productivity that, that really considers, well, what did you get done? Uh, as opposed to how long did you work at it? Like, from my perspective, if you got your work done in a half an hour, uh, and you were budgeted in an hour uh, for it, I'm happy to pay you for the half an hour provided the work is at standard or, or above and everything else is going well. Um, I am much more outcome-oriented than um, time-oriented. So if that's your question, I think that there is underfoot, at least in my industry, a, uh, a move towards more of an outcome-based uh, performance review. Yeah, and I
0: think, I think oh, we almost have to go that route with the distributed workforce because you just can't micromanage people's time. And time is 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 so different now. Like someone working from home could be logging in, especially in the Philippines. Like I have a team in the Philippines. and I, They're logging in at 4 a.m. and at 4 p.m. and anywhere throughout. And they're getting their work done on their time. Right. There's expected time for they have to, like there's blocks of time where we need them matching with our time zone. But then much of the work can be done wherever. I'm not going to, I mean, there are computer programs that measure that, but I'm not measuring that. I'm not checking in on that. flight. But I, I can see clearly the outcomes. I can see every week if properly, you know, defined. Yeah. Did they, do their work, did they get the work done that needed to done that week? Um,
1: I yeah. think that's where we're, we're going. I, I, I agree with you. Um, and it forces us as managers to be a lot more structured in our time. Um, as you, as you mentioned, you know, you have to have that overlap for coordination, uh, and you have to develop a a good system of feedback for, uh, sort of when, if, if things are getting done at at a pace that you've scheduled out and if they're not to be able to spot that pretty early in the game. Um, you know, when you have a, a team that you can actually interact with by going out in the hallway and speaking to them and asking them, you know, what are you up to, what are you up to, et cetera. Um, and redistributing the work if you, if you need to. So you can get a really good pulse on whether or not things are moving or not. Um, if you have a team that's, that's distributed and you don't really know when they're working and, uh, et cetera, then you need some kind of a, of a system that will delineate budgets, um, you know, deadlines, uh, deliverables and things like that. You need somebody to manage it also. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we've, it's a, it's, it's really different to manage a distributed team than an in-house team. You, the man, the old days of managing by wandering around is really expensive. Hopefully <laughs> you have a team all over the world. <laughs> uh, very, That's a big way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this idea of this, uh, solving this challenge is is not only as we started focusing on how do you fit an organization that attracts these individuals, um, but it's also what are the Lessons and things we're learning that the individual needs to be doing to keep themselves happy and effective and productive and connected. and so it's 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 two sides of the issue, and i I really don't focus a lot on that individual, but thinking more and more about you know encouraging team members to get up. To get out of their house to and collaborate with others. And I do recall before the pandemic, you know, co working spots were huge. There were tons of freelancers that were going out, sure, working for themselves, you know, remote, distributed work, decentralized, fractional, but they were in a community of others just like them. Right. Uh, and then, uh, and I'll use the Philippines as another example. 30% of the Filipino economy is business process outsourcing. So their whole country is set up to do this and they build giant offices for people to come in, work together for others, but they were together and they were building cultures when these people might individually be working for you or me or other companies, but the culture, the connectivity was in the office. Well, when the pandemic hit, they shut down, pushed everybody. home. right. Well, now two, two things are, are happening. All of the BPOs are like, all right, come back. We have all this space, fill it up. Um, and the government is saying your tax incentives for building that space was nest- requires you to fill it back up. So there's a lot of pressures to bring people back. Yeah. But the employees are saying, no, we like it at home. We don't want to come back. And I, and I don't know if that's, and I bring that up because that might be the case now. But I'm guessing there's going to be a point in time where some of them are going to say, actually, we do we want to go back. We do miss that. In person, person connectivity while we were serving, and, you know, out facing clients. But right. right now, there's a big push to not come back because they enjoy being at home, because yeah. they're working moms, because they don't want to travel an hour each way to get there. There's got to be a hybrid coming somewhere in between. I I, I think so. Uh,
1: uh, but the pendulum is is, is swinging. Yeah. Yeah. Swing. And you know, you've seen that. Major New York banks have, and, and other organizations as well. I think even Apple might've, have, might've have said to their employees, okay, everybody's back in the office, September 1st, and then the next day, no, 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 we didn't mean September 1st, uh, <laughs> February 1st. So you see that, that there's a, a big tension over here. Uh, the employees are dug in currently. The employers have concluded or many of them concluded that we're more productive, we're better off being in person. And you know, how long does that 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 detente, that stalemate uh last? Is it is it that the employees say, you know, I kind of miss being in the office, at least for some of the time. Is it the employers that say, all right, we're able to, you know, to to deal with three days a week, give us Tuesday to Thursday, and we're not gonna really lose a lot of the productivity and, and the creativity that we're looking for. Nobody nobody really knows. I think you're right, we're heading for some kind of hybrid. Arrangement long term um you know but uh but it's, it's it's a huge challenge, and it's a lot of fun actually to to be on the the vanguard and the cutting edge all of us of uh, of this new frontier uh that's opened up through Zoom and teams and
0: you know all the yeah,
1: things that surround that ecosystem.
0: it's fascinating to be in this moment you know running businesses and, and in both of our cases serving other businesses that are running businesses, so we kind of see like lots of different variations of people trying to solve the same problem. Um, you can only imagine that the Harvard Business Review case studies that are going to come out in the next few years about who did it right, who did it wrong, what what we've learned, because it's, uh, we are learning. We're in the midst of a, a, almost like an industrial revolution. This is, I don't know what you call it, but it's, it's major. It's changing everything. It, it is. It, I. I, I don't think you can
1: underestimate the, the profound impact that, that this is going to make on how we, how we work, The you know, the comparative mm-hmm. to the industrial revolution, uh, probably has, has war holds water.
0: Yeah. And you're, uh, you know, you and I both are kind of at the forefront, maybe leading edge, I would probably say, because we're racing it and not really fighting and we're able to, we're a smaller organizations, a little more nimble. We can, we can, you know, make mistakes and not. Kept, you know, not be Apple, but, uh, how is your experience then as a, uh, consumer of both fractional leadership and, uh, remote, you know, work, uh, Ben, as a business owner? Uh, I think in general, it's
1: been a, an excellent experience. Uh, I clearly we are able to tap into some top talent for, uh, an affordable for you know, for us, uh, an affordable cost, which would be completely out of reach uh, if we needed to hire somebody full time, and absent the fractional leadership, that emerging segment of the of the workplace, I'm not aware of any way that we could have done this. Um, working with external agencies has its inherent limitations. Um, I, I won't go into all of them right now, but it doesn't give you the it's in general, it doesn't give you the the person. But the person that that is is working with you in an agency is not really going to be as attuned to the, the needs of your organization, the unique personality personalities of the executive team, and so um, they're just not going to be able to deliver a really customized solution for you. Um, and uh, so this is a this is a great way to to tap into top level leadership for your organization,
0: um, at, a, at a cost, which is much more affordable. I don't recall, I know you've used a fractional kind of, uh, planner, annual quarterly strategic planner. You've used a fractional CFO and sure. you have one of our fractional CMOs on your team, which one came first that, and we, uh, we also have the CTO. Kind of oh, of yeah, that's right. You do. I forgot about that. A rock store. Uh, yes,
1: um, it is. And he'll be, uh, he'll be hopefully, you know, part of our team for, for a long time. Um, so sorry, uh, could you, uh, uh, which one came first? Yeah. So I think that we started, we started with, uh, with a coaching model first, and then we went to what was known in the industry. I don't know if it's still known as, as, as this as a, um, as a fractional integrator, which is basically a COO mm-hmm. on a fractional basis, um, uh, it's funny because, you know, we're an accounting firm. You'd think that we would be really good doing our own books, but it's not something that I wanted to, to put, uh, a, any effort into myself. So we hired then a, uh, a fractional CFO just to sort of mine the internal accounting and do some projections and other analysis for us. Uh, and that's good. We picked up then a, uh, chief marketing officer works for, you know, for your, your company, um. And then the, uh, the CTO has been sort of the most recent hire to help us with a transformation in technology where we're redoing uh, principally, I don't know, is it 60% or 70% of our tech stack and moving into a much more uh, integrated cloud-based system that gives us a lot of uh, dashboard type of reporting and um, just sort of more and more, I guess, information that is relevant to us at hand. So
0: we got a whole whole set of them yeah oh you do you get you get a whole fractional c-suite yeah um if you think about the you know first time you were tipping dipping your toe in the water fractional integrator uh and even the uh the next couple what was Just the stuff. fears that you had like what were what was keeping you from i don't know this is gonna work because of this like what was oh what you thought um, you might <laughs> uncover like
1: yeah. So I didn't have any fears per se. Uh, I, I really, I really felt that it was the right thing to do. Um, and cause we had a, we had a clear job description and we had a clear mandate for that person and the only question was whether or not they'd be able to, to live up to it or not and do deliver for us what we wanted. Um, to rephrase the question though, a little bit, if, if, you know, if you'd like to hear a little bit about what I think the, uh, the sort of the the advantages and the disadvantages of it, yeah, limitations,
0: if you will. Yeah. Now that you, now that you have them. Share. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that the advantages are that if a person is, is a quick study and can get your business, um, you know, fairly painlessly as you know, sort an of intuitive learner and has uh, a background in, in doing more or less what you do, if it's, if it's service. I don't, I don't care if it's you know, one type of a service business or another type of a service business. It's just service as opposed to manufacturing, which is a, a different animal. Then I think that you could, um, sort of bring a person onto the executive team. You can have a small organization with us as well and, uh, have a, a really, uh, strong voice and perspective that can, uh, what's going on. And also somebody from the outside to give a, uh, a new perspective that, you know, face it, like we're all biased and we're all filled with the inability, you know, or we're limited by, um, by being so, uh, I guess, um, involved in what we do day to day. We can't really see so clearly, um, you know, what, what's required. And so that, that fractional person could come in and say, okay, well, you know, based on my experience and the training that I have, this is what I see going on. And I think that we can make improvements here, um, and then they can execute on it as well. I think that the, uh, the disadvantage, uh, or the weakness in the model is that, uh, the person that you bring in only has a certain amount of time to spend with you. Uh, sort of by the, by the definition, they're a fractional resource. So, um, so if you bring somebody in that's a fractional, uh, C suite type of a person, then they may be able to identify a lot of what needs to be happening in the organization, but they may not have the, the capacity in and of themselves to actually deliver it. You may be, need to complement that or to expand their, um, you know, their, the, the scope of their work and the time that they're allowed to do their stuff. Uh, no, no rocket science over there. It's all a matter of what the person is willing to give you in terms of their time and the budget that you have for it. Uh, but that—that's what I see as is, is one of the limitations. Um, there's another limitation as well in that it's really important if you're going to consider. I think Joe, you know, fractional uh, leaders that they—they uh, they listen first, and then they make suggestions. Secondly, I mean, some of the people that we interviewed, they had a what I thought to be a, a pretty rigid framework for how they like to work with with clients, and uh, it may not work. Uh, in in every instance, and if it's not a good fit for you, well, you're getting somebody who's trying to impose their, their perspective, uh, on, on your organization, uh, may not work with the, with the players that you have, the other players, and so that's one of the limitations, I think. Yeah.
0: I think that's really interesting. The, the idea that your limitation is time, get back to the, uh, yeah. the conversation around value for time and. That is, by definition, a fraction of that person's time and energy on your account. Um, so, so I think that, well, that made, I wrote down the word lever. Right? How do we lever time? As, for, as any of us oh, business executives, we're, we're always strapped time. So times. What, what are the time hacks? What are the, the ways that we can leverage our time better? And a, and a fractional um, person is you know, in the position to, to really show off their ability to lever time. In, in a strategic role, you should be able to do that in a tactical role, you know, you're a little more constrained by, you know, your output is based on your time. So, um, yeah, Good point. I just think that's an interesting, uh, thing for me to noodle on for a while. How do we leverage eye more? Yeah.
1: And I think that you made a great distinction too, uh, between strategic and tactical, right? Uh, for a lot of organizations, um, small organizations. So what they need is both. They need the strategic input, um, because it can breathe, uh, life into an area of the business that is, is otherwise not going to, uh, thrive, but you also need the tactical and the tactical is the doing and, uh, and maybe that's where, uh, budgetary constraints come in because ideally what you'd have is let's say a, a fractional a marketing person, and then you'd have some full-time doers in, right. the, in the organization that would just sort of, you know, take their, their directives from the fractional CMO and then report back, say, Hey, you know, we did what you, what you told us to do and these are the results and what's next, you know, type of a thing. So maybe, maybe that's where, where you have to sort of watch out. Those are shoals that you
0: have to watch out for. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um. How about as a consumer of the of the remote worker? That and can you mentioned you've got people locally that are, are remote as well as yeah across the globe. So globe just kind of this exponential uh, version of remote. But how is your advantages and and disadvantages of working with the remote team then for you?
1: I think that the advantages are are just so numerous. Um, the reach that a business has is is unlimited by geography today, we have some time zone issues that that that's true. Uh, but a a business like ours, which is, which is primarily currently located in, in New York, New Jersey, uh, we really couldn't consider, uh, you know, picking up employees in different localities of the country or the world. Um, and there's a lot of talent out there. Um, there's also a, um you know, very nice, uh, price differential, uh, between the cost of living in let's say Mexico or the Philippines to the New York Metro area. And so the wages are, are a lot lighter. Um, so you can get some great talent, uh, that way we've got, uh, workers that are, uh, in our local geography as well, that are remote, uh, that works very nicely as well, um. Culturally, there's there's a a closer, you know, they're they're sharing the same culture. So there's no, nothing, nothing that that gets lost in translation. Um, I think that the, one of the key issues that you have to smoke out when you're looking to take on a a remote worker or a team is whether or not they're a self-starter, uh, they are internally motivated and disciplined. Um, they really want to be industrious and make a contribution to the organization because it's so easy to hide out there. And I mean, you mentioned before that there's software that can monitor productivity and stuff like that. We've experimented a little bit with that. Um, I don't think that that's a great solution for, for most, uh, businesses that have, let's say, mid to higher level needs, right? Maybe, maybe for the very low, uh, sort of administrative type of a person, call centers and things like that. Um, that, that technology is important and that level of oversight is important. But if you get up to the higher, skill sets, you really need that, the right type of personality. Um, uh, because again, you can just hide very easily.
0: And how do you, uh, I mean, how do you, how do you measure for that personality type? <laughs> do you, I mean, can I, you, I, I, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I haven't figured it out. You know, we, it's probably like everything else, uh, you, you experiment a lot with it and you learn primarily from your failures. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the, if you don't get up to bat and strike out, you'll, you'll, never learn. Uh, so, um, I think it's a process of experimentation. I think it's, um, and that's sort of, it's a different part of, of the conversation that we could have, but I think that trying to, to, to vet people, bef- you know, to come into the organization as employees is is a very difficult it's a vexing job uh sometimes you think you really get a person and uh everything lines and stars align and then when they when they come on board you you see wow uh i had that one wrong and and it's not such a great fit so i really don't know
0: yeah Um, i think someone asked me once and heard this has come up Repeatedly, like, well, how do I know I'm going to get a good employee remotely, overseas or Mexico? And, um, for just this reason, it's vexing, right? And and I've always answered, how do you going to get a good employee in your backyard? I mean, that cha- challenge of of recruiting and and making sure it's the right person that got that right personality and they can do the job. I mean, you have to do that either way. Yeah, and I I would argue you're more likely to get a good fit remotely because you have A different kind of um, person on the other end. That, that in my experience, uh, they want the job really bad. They value the work quite a bit. They're not in our. You know, we are blessed to grow up in the U.S. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, it is different in other parts of the world, and we take a lot of things for granted, including employment. Sure, good, well-paying jobs that others don't. And so, everything else being equal, which Education's pretty equal these days. Language is pretty equal these days. It's that desire to work, that the want to work, that I think is, in some cases, stronger in other parts of the world. Um, but it's still, I've seen all spectrums of personalities, you know, self-starters and not self-starters, um, yeah. people internally motivated versus people that still need external motivation. Like, you still have to screen for that. But Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I would... I would agree with you, um,
1: with one, uh, one modification I think is that there are, uh, regions of the world that have a higher concentration of the type of people that, that you're looking for. Like Philippines is a very good example of that. You have a, a really, um, sort of industrious, uh, work, great, great work ethic. Um, the people are really bright, um, they're easy to work with, they're nice people, um, you know, it's a great place to, uh, to have a team. We experimented with other places, you know, and in the world, and it's, it's not, it's not uniform, it's just not yeah. uniform. And I think the people, the people in Philippines particularly are really happy, as you say, uh, to have the job it means a lot to them and, and they want to, they want to succeed at it. Uh, so I think it, you know, sort of regionally you have to know, okay, uh, if I go there, uh, population is is sort of generically like this um and an fs me versus if i go someplace else maybe it's a little more spotty yeah
0: you're 100 correct yeah it's not ubiquitous there there are certainly areas that are much more prime for finding you a a solution than others yeah yeah Yeah. okay um well last question then we can wrap this up Sure. Uh, what do you like to do for fun, Mark?
1: <laughs> That's a great question. Um, so, for fun these days, I play tennis. Oh wow! Yeah, I hadn't played tennis since I was a kid, and I have a friend who's, who's local to me, and we try to play twice a week. Uh, we play outdoors in the in the warm weather. We go indoors in the uh, in the cold weather. It's just a lot of fun. Um, you know, uh, we're both, um, we're, we, I think I rank somewhere like, uh, I mean, I, I am, I am ranked in the, in the U S somewhere like 1.2 million. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> we're both hacks. Yeah. Yes. But we have a good time. Uh, and, uh, and that's my, uh, my sort of, a, my weekly fun. Yeah.
0: And I know that pickleball seems to be picking up quite a bit in that our area? Is that something picking up around you? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's throughout the country. Um, uh, yeah. I haven't played yet though. Uh, oh, like my friends that play a lot of tennis are loving the pickleball game. Yeah, I think it's kind of, like, no, nobody said anything bad about pickleball. Everybody's like, yeah, you know, I kind of like pickleball. it a lot. Um, but uh, you know, who likes it the most? I think it's the orthopedic surgeons. <laughs> uh, it's pretty easy to break an ankle well, at, at our age, playing pretty like comments <laughs> pretty well, also. Yeah, I yeah, sure they do. do. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I, I had a great conversation. We talked about so many uh, interesting things. I really uh, appreciate all of our conversations, but specifically today, I really liked d- drilling deep into some of these areas. So thank you for your time. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and to our audience, thanks for listening, and uh, make sure to subscribe podcast if you want to hear more. Uh, and if you want to reach out to Mark, we will have his show notes with his detailed uh, contact information. I'm sure he'd enjoy hearing uh, your ranking uh, in for your tennis uh, matches as well. But. Uh, Uh, Please uh, tune in and contact Mark based on his contact information that'll be in the show notes. Thank you very much. And that's a wrap. There's another successful episode of the Fractional C-Suite Retreat. See our show notes and more episodes at fractionalcsuitretreat.com. This podcast is sponsored by Your CMO, helping organizations grow, save time and money with better marketing strategy and fractional execution. Visit them at yorcmo.com, yourcmo.com, spelled wrong on purpose.